welcome to Long Hill Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast where you can listen to our latest sermons filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're in the car, on the couch, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. Hello and welcome to Long Hill Chapel Online. My name is Pastor Michael, and I am so glad that you joined us today. We are today concluding our four-part series through the Old Testament book of Jonah, entitled Running. And really what we've been doing the past few weeks is not only looking at this ancient story, which some of us have heard, maybe we grew up in church or Sunday school, and we know the story of Jonah and the great fish, but this is also a story of the ways that we live out a Jonah-like story in our own lives. And so just to recap, uh, what's happened in the beginning of the book, God shows up and he appears to Jonah and Jonah was a prophet and the job of a prophet was to go to a group of people and to convey the message of God to them. And it was not a very popular job. It was not a very easy job because very often uh, what God was speaking to a group of people was not easy to hear. And so uh, Jonah is called by God to go to a place called Nineveh and to declare this message of God that they basically needed to repent, and they needed to turn in another direction in their ways. Jonah doesn't want to do that, so he arises, and instead of going to Nineveh, he goes the opposite direction as far and as fast as he possibly could. But God raises up a big storm, and the boat that he boards to go in the opposite direction is overcome by the storm. Uh, The sailors pray to their gods, and eventually it becomes known that Jonah is the reason that the storm has come upon them. And so, uh, short story. Jonah is thrown overboard. He's swallowed up by a big fish. Uh, the big He's in the belly of the big fish for three days and three nights. At the, the end of that time, the fish vomits Jonah onto dry land, and Jonah finally goes. He goes back to Nineveh. He repents, and he turns in God's direction, and now he's having to take a longer journey back to Nineveh. And when he gets there, this great and powerful city that was known in so many different ways, not only only for their power and their might, but also their cruelty and their violence. Jonah preaches a pretty bad but pretty short sermon. If you have to listen to a bad sermon, it might as well be short. But he says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown, and the Spirit of God has been work at work in the hearts of the Ninevites. And instead of throwing him out or killing him or chasing him out of the city, they repent and they turn to God. And that's where chapter three ends. And it seems like that would be such a great time for the credits to roll, for the music to swell up, and for the closing scenes of the movie that we've been watching to be Jonah amongst these people who have turned to God, who now there's, there's joy and there's celebration and there's happiness at what God has done. What a great story and what a great way to end the story. But the problem is that's not how the story ends. And the story doesn't end there. And so today we pick up in Jonah chapter 4, the last chapter of this short, odd Old Testament book and story found amongst the prophetic books of the Old Testament, but also which has a message for you and I today. And so we're going to read together Jonah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. The thing that seems wrong is that the Ninevites have repented, and God has relented, and he's shown mercy. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. 
Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? You know, many times in our life when we watch movies or we read books or even when we, we see games, we see sports events on television, there are these surprise plot twists. There's the way you think the story is going to go and then it, it makes this, this hard turn. And what it does is it allows you to look back and to see everything you've already seen and experienced in a completely different light. You know, one of the movies that this is probably most famously known in is a movie called The Sixth Sense. And without spoiling the movie, at the end, there's this revelation that makes you look back at everything else that's happened throughout the entire movie through a completely different perspective and point of view. And sometimes those plot twists, they, they just, we don't expect them and we're surprised by them and we didn't see it coming. And there's this plot twist in the story of Jonah. We see the end of chapter 3, and we think that's a great place to end the movie. We understand how this goes. What a marvelous tale of God's redemption. What a marvelous story of Jonah running and then coming back to God. But then we discover that there's another angle. There's a twist at the end that makes us look back at everything we've already seen through a completely different light. So it happens with Jonah, but I would also say this, that it happens with us too. Very simply, we love it when God is good to us. But what happens when God is also good to people we don't like and people we don't think deserve it? And when we read chapter 4, we see that Jonah is very angry. That's the word that shows up most often throughout the chapters, that, that Jonah is very angry. And the Ninevites, to be true and to be honest about the people they were, they were a violent people. They were an oppressive people, and there was plenty that they would have done that would have made anyone angry, just like violence and injustice should always drive you and I to righteous anger. But we have to be so careful what's under the surface of that. Because what we see here is Jonah's not actually angry about how the Ninevites have behaved. He's angry about how God treats them. He's angry about God's response of mercy. And really, he's not angry at them. He's angry at God. So why is he angry? Have you ever encountered someone and they're angry and you're, you're always just thinking to yourself, like, what's their problem? What is it that you have to be so angry about? You know, back in chapter one, 
We know that the story begins with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah, and Jonah takes off and he runs in the opposite direction. And we are never really clued in at that point why it was that Jonah ran. Some of it may have been because he was afraid of the Ninevites, this great and powerful city, this, this group of people that was known for their violence and their, their evil, oppressive, unjust ways. But chapter 4 kind of pulls the curtain back again, and we see this in verse 1, that the reason that Jonah ran is not because of the Ninevites, but it's because he knew how God would be with these people that he despised, that he wanted to see punished and judged. And he says, basically, I told you so, God, this is what I tried to prevent by running away because I knew that you were a loving God. All the way to the end of this chapter, chapter four, we see that Jonah's expectation, his hope, even his desire is to see judgment poured out on Nineveh. He goes out and he sets up camp east of the city and he looks and he waits to see what would happen because he's just hoping that something bad is going to happen to these people that he thinks deserves it. And he does this after his life has been spared in the storm, after the fish is provided, after the journey back to Nineveh. We we see that Jonah's actions, some of them have changed, but under the surface, his heart has not. And so here we see this interesting, sobering, powerful, difficult truth that's true about this ancient story of Jonah, but it's also true in my heart and in your heart. And it's this, people can receive abundant grace from God. And to be clear, we have all received abundant grace from God. God has poured out grace upon grace upon grace. He does it on me. He does it on you. He does it on all of us. He does it every single day. He does it when we're at our best, and he does it when we're at our worst. And so people can receive abundant grace from God, and they can still carry abundant anger with them. Verse 5 of chapter 4, Jonah, he heads out east of the town, and it says he sits down. And certainly he probably literally sat down. But something that was true in the ancient world is when you sat down, especially in kind of this elevated place, sitting down was the equivalent of a place of authority and judgment. And so Jonah sits down as though he's the one who can have the authority to judge these people. And he sits down and he waits for something to happen. And Jonah's anger, just like our anger, leads us to sit in places of judgment that were never ours to sit in. You know, one of the things that is so easy for us when we're angry is to be tempted to assume the place of God when it comes to others. You know how it should go for that person because of who they are. Or you know how it should go for those people because of what they've done and how they've sinned and the thing that you can see so clearly in their lives. And so you sit down in this place of judgment. And we think God should do this or that. He should punish or he should judge. And oftentimes, Christian people, people of faith, attempt to speak on behalf of God to speak the things they want God to do or think God should do, and even sometimes to do the punishing or the judging themselves. And so Jonah sits down, and he's angry at God, and he's still hoping that something would happen because he has a picture of how this should play out, but God has a different picture. 
Then God does this interesting kind of, it just seems like almost a random thing. Jonah's sitting in this shelter. It would have been like a tent that he had built. And the sun is beating down as it so often did in those times and those places. And this plant begins to grow up. It's a plant that God has provided. And the plant grows up and it provides shade for Jonah. And for the first time in this entire book, Jonah's angry. He's running. He's doing a lot of things. But it says Jonah was very happy about the plant. So this plant comes up. Jonah did nothing to make the plant come up. The plant, the seed, the water, the plant. The plant just grows. And it says that Jonah is very happy about the plant. You know, in essence, this shows something that's true in our hearts, is we're all about God's grace and God's provision in our lives when it benefits us. Even when we've done nothing to deserve it, even when we've done nothing to merit it, we're all about it when we're the beneficiaries of it. It's kind of like grace for me, but not for thee. And so it's the only time where the passage mentions that Jonah is happy, And what we see in the midst of this is even though God is providing this thing and Jonah is receiving the benefits of this thing, his heart is still hard against the people of Nineveh. And so God asks questions. He asks twice this question, is it right for you to be angry? And the first time, Jonah just has gone out. And he's done this thing. But the second time in verse 9, after the plant has come up, there's something else that happens. So the plant grows and Jonah's very happy about the plant. But then the next day, it says God provides a worm that chews on the plant and the plant withers and the plant dies. And Jonah's very angry about it. And God asks him again, is it right for you to be angry about the plant, the plant that you did nothing to grow, that you did nothing to provide? Is it right for you to be angry about that? And finally, Jonah answers this time. He says, it is, it absolutely is. And here we see something really critical and important is that Jonah is more concerned about the plant than he is about all the people of Nineveh. He's more concerned about his own comfort and his convenience than he is about anything else. Look at what it says in verse 10. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. So verse 10 says you're concerned about things. And God is basically telling us here, you're concerned about some things that aren't yours to be concerned about. And there's some things that I'm concerned about that you're not concerned about that you ought to be concerned about. You and I miss being concerned about the right things. So even in this moment, as the story comes to this kind of awkward and abrupt weird ending after this plot shift, after this twist that we didn't expect and didn't anticipate, God is inviting Jonah, as he has been for the entire story, to change his heart's desires, to exchange the things that he has, how he thinks it should go, what he thinks those people deserve for how God sees people, to exchange his fear, his passion, and his judgment for confidence, for zeal, for mercy that comes from God. Because you see, God is a God of blessing, and he is a God of judgment. He's a God of blessing and judgment, but very often we get those things reversed. We think we deserve God's blessing. We're entitled to it. 
and we see other people, and we see the ways that we think they deserve the judgment of God. And so, yes, this story is about running from God when he calls us to things in our lives. It's about running with God and returning to him when we've disobeyed. This story is about running with God and realigning ourselves with him. But it's also about having the proper perspective on the things that matter most to God. Because you see, Jonah gets angry when others receive the blessing and not the judgment that he thinks they deserve. And Jonah also gets angry. The two times he gets angry in chapter 4 here is when the blessing he thinks he deserves, the plant, is removed. Even when he's sitting in a place of judgment that isn't his against other people. And even when the blessing that has been poured out on his life, he did nothing to merit or to deserve. And in so doing, he misses the point of the whole story. The point isn't just about being obedient to God, but it's about conforming our hearts and lives to match God's heart and God's way. And the way that God sees people and he sees the world around us. Because otherwise, we can go through the motions. We can even do some of the right things. And we see Jonah finally turns around and does some of the right things. But unless our hearts are changed, we inevitably come back to the same place. And we end up trying to do the work of God without God. And that's something that you and I and Jonah do all the time. You know, there was a pastor who wrote this quote that I thought was was so interesting and so well-worded, and he's talking about how we sit in that place of judgment with other people. And he said this, you and I were appointed to be ambassadors of the good news, not a bouncer at the door of club heaven. Now, you and I do not get to choose who God has mercy on. In Romans, one of the New Testament books, one of the letters of the Apostle Paul to the early church, uh, he was writing uh, and he was referencing back to the Old Testament. And in chapter 9, verse 15, he basically says, I'll have mercy on who I will have mercy on, and I'll have compassion on who I'll have compassion on. And that's not up to you. You don't get a vote in that matter because you are also the beneficiaries and the recipients of my blessing and my grace in all of the times and places that you have not deserved it, and we do not deserve it. And our understanding of that should change not only how we see God and how we see ourselves, but also how we see others and how we see them through the same eyes and with the same heart that God does. So God pours mercy and grace. He pours compassion. He relents. He forgives. He withholds judgment And he pours out mercy to those who turn to him. And you and I don't get to choose who that is and how God does it, but we do get to choose how we respond to it. For some of us, with some of the people that God has been merciful to, this seems very disappointing, just like it did Jonah. But if we'll embrace the heart of God, it's actually liberating. Because all along the way, God provides opportunity after opportunity to align with his heart and align with him. And even when we mess it up again and again and again, Jonah comes through this so many times and the Lord gives him more and more chances. He still gets the glory. 
And in this story from beginning to end, God's not just pursuing the Ninevites. He's not just hoping that they turn and and repent and turn in God's direction. He's also pursuing Jonah. And in our world and in our lives, it is easy for us to see all the people, all the circumstances, all the things that have happened like the Ninevites and forget that we also have a heart like Jonah and we miss God's heart. And God is still working on Jonah. He's working with Jonah. He's saying, I see what's in your heart. It's been there all the time. Repent and turn to me. Maybe you and I have been going through the motions the right way. We've been doing enough of the right stuff. We've been saying the right words. We've been singing the right songs. We've been showing up the church, but inside our heart is turned in a different direction than the heart of God. And God is saying, yes, I'll deal with the issues of the world. I may even use you to deal with the issues of the world, just like Jonah in the story, but we also have to deal with the issues that are in you and that are in your heart. And so as we close, let's read this last verse of this odd, remarkable book together again. Verse 11. And should and God is speaking, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? God invites us, just like he invited Jonah in these last two verses of this fourth chapter of this short, odd Old Testament book of story that we vaguely, many of us know. He invites us to share in his heart for people rather than be guided by our own preconceptions and assumptions of how God works and how God should operate and who should get the judgment and who should get the blessing. What does God see in your heart? Truly, what does he see in your heart? Where in your heart Do you see people differently than God sees them? Where are you, Jonah, in your story? And who is your Nineveh? Where have you been so consumed by the expectation and even anger about what's happening with other people that you've missed what God is trying to do in you? The story of Jonah ends oddly. And it ends abruptly. This is like a screeching halt of an ending after a plot twist that most of us wouldn't have written and very few of us would have expected. And so we don't really know what happens next. But the good news is that your story and my story, those stories aren't over yet. There's still an opportunity, not only for us to change our minds, but to allow God to change our hearts. And maybe the thing that we've been expecting should happen out there needs to happen in here. Maybe it needs to start with us first. But the good news, the good news of the gospel, the story of Jesus, is that God is always waiting. He's the God of the second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and 27th and 388th and 1,397th chance. And he comes to you and I again and again and again, even when we're still running. Let's pray together. 
God, we thank you for the power of your word, the power that we find in these pages of the scripture and these stories that seem like Sunday school stories, but through which your spirit works everlasting truth. Would your spirit be at work in our hearts? Would you show us the places that we've looked around the world, just like Jonah did at Nineveh, at people who you love and you care about, you are pursuing differently than you do? We've hoped that the judgment will fall because of all the things that we see that they've done and that they do and the ways that it doesn't line up with how we think it should be done and expectations. And there's places in our own heart where we're content to receive your blessings, but we don't recognize how we, together with them, we're all on the same side of the ledger. We're all in the same group except for the grace of God. There's nothing we've done to merit anything because you are a God of mercy and compassion and you show it to those who turn to you. But would we realize that that's us first? Show us the places where our hearts are hard. Show us the places where even though we've been going through the motions, we've been saying the right words and even doing some of the right things inside our hearts are far from your heart. Show us where we need to turn. Would you do a work in us first? We thank you that you are a God who is faithful, who is always pursuing, but also that you're not just concerned with what we do on your behalf. You're concerned with who we are and who we're becoming. So would your spirit be at work in our lives? Would you make this personal? Would we then do something about it? And would we see your faithful hand continue to work even in the places where we've been running? We thank you for our time together. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being with us. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you very soon. Thanks for listening today. To connect with us further, you can visit our website at lhcnj.net. We're on social media at LHCNJ, and we'll be back next week with another sermon. Until then, have a great week and God bless.